Welcome to episode 286 of the Morning Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra, and I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and we are joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And uh, Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. And as we were saying just before we started recording, this is going to be a potpourri episode. So it's going to smell funny. But nice. Alrighty. <laughs> but nicely <laughs> nicely funny, that's true. It depends on your perspective, I suppose. Sure. Um, start off with a f- quick fact check. We were talking about Leah Culver last week. Uh, she's one of the people behind the Breaker podcast app. Um, which she bought one of the painted lady houses in San Francisco. And uh, turns out she is one of the, co- as I think Mark Jaime mentioned Dropbox, but it turns out she's one of the co-creators of OAuth, and, uh, which is interesting because there's a, a link in the show notes here with a picture of her uh, holding up, or a picture of her holding her keys in front of her new door. And uh, what's interesting about the keys is they don't have any, any notches, like they're not cut, they're plain keys. So sort of her uh, inside joke on um, OAuth and shared keys and what do they call it? Uh, yes, an access key and a refresh key, but uh, Adam, Pennington um, caught that on Twitter and she said, yep, yeah, I'm surprised it took that long for somebody to find the joke. So there you go. Um, did somebody else put this link in here that's on the thing, the tools? That, I, I believe, did. is the actual I spec did, but, itself. Yeah, but we don't necessarily have to talk about it. Okay. Oh, you put that in there? Yeah. Okay, so, well, Mark's linked here. To, what is this? The, the actual specs? For yeah, OAuth, it's the or? actual spec. Yeah. Cool. All right. We'll link it in show notes. But we won't talk about it, as Mark said. Well, we can, um, if you want. <laughs> last week, I was talking about BlackBerry, and uh, the big thing on BlackBerry, the, their their secret sauce was this thing called the BlackBerry Server, or BBS, as everybody became, came to know it. And that was the service where they would encrypt your, they had this sort of end-to-end encryption that ran through a server or set of servers. You could run a server in-house. Um, they were practically giving them away to get people to buy Blackberries and sign up for the services and stuff like that. But BBS was the term I was trying to find last week. I did actually say it in the show, but I didn't, didn't couldn't remember the acronym. There you go. For those of you who are into TLAs. Um, we're talking about push notification in the new Xcode 11.4 simulator. And uh, there's a interesting um, demo here by a gentleman who goes by the name Kai or Air Kai on Twitter. But he's got a little demo here, a little video demo where he's got a little uh, JSON packet that's basically the format in the format of a push notification, drags and drops it onto the simulator, and it pops up with a, an alert, So, which is kind of a cool little uh little demo. I don't know if you guys had a look at that. That is pretty neat. Oh, I mean, it makes sense too that you'd be able to do. Yeah. We actually talked about that when we talked about the previous one. That was in the same what's new notes, release notes. That you for, could drag and drop or that you could emulate? Drag and drop to emulate. Oh, okay, cool. Right. Yeah, so there's a quick little demo on that one. Yep. Uh, may you have something for us? Yeah, this is follow-up to... Welcome talking. to 2013, by the way. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> this is follow-up to us talking about uh, security standards. I think the discussion on web in few episodes ago and that spec is handled by the fido alliance i know you skipped your one about the the unlocking the mac well all right (laughs) future tim scrub all of that sorry i I normally go by the tabs and i didn't realize that didn't have a tab i should have put the like a link there all right so following up to my you're ignoring it (laughs) because tim was being snarky (laughs) no i was i was rolling through through the spiel 
I should have put a tag, uh, a link there. So following up on my, uh, my new MacBook pro, um, this is not a feature that's new to almost anybody, but it's new to me. I've been enjoying unlocking this new MacBook pro with my Apple watch, which is pretty cool. And I was sadly just outside the range of being able to do this with my old Mac. It was like one Mac version too old. Oh, you were on a 2012. That's right. Right. Yeah. The, the, the uh-huh. first retina MacBook pro was what I had before. And, and that was right. sadly never able to participate in this brave new world. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, that's why I said 12 to 2013. Sorry. Um, yeah. And now you can talk about Fido, which is cool. Yeah. It's a little bit of follow up to talking about the WebAuthn standard and its relationship to um, unlocking stuff and security uh, that happens to come out of the Fido Alliance, the Fast Identity Online Alliance, FIDO. And Apple has officially joined that group. So that's cool. It really bears pretty well for the fact that they'll very likely be a big player in that standard. And I would expect that newer services and newer bits of software coming out would integrate with that. So it's cool. It's good. It's good for security and people not dealing with passwords as much as possible. Does FIDO stand for anything or? Uh, Fast Identity Online. F-I-D-O. So the ID for identity. Otherwise it looks like FIO or FIO. (laughs) So so it, it makes more sense when you see their logo that it's FIDO, but it has the ID in a different color. And it's got like a little person on one part. It looks like they can't be over. Picture of a dog on it. You'd think it would. You right? You you would think it'd be like a security dog, yeah. watchdog, perhaps. Oh, I see. The eye sort of forms like a lowercase eye. Looks like a like it's got legs. Like a little person, maybe perhaps handing over some credentials to the Facebook logo, which is a little perhaps un unfortunate on their side. Maybe they should have thought about that and gone with the dog. Mm-hmm. That's neither here nor there. Uh, speaking of, you know, standards, uh, we had talked about the fact that the Apple card, you could go in and output your data in CSV, comma, separated values format. Now it also supports OFX, which is the open financial exchange format, which is definitely supported by um, probably a ton of stuff that you use. I imagine you need a budget probably supports it. Uh, pretty sure that like Quicken and Intuit's stuff tend to support that sort of thing. Hmm. That's good. Be nice if there was like an API you could connect to and and seamlessly import all this stuff. But you know, step by step. Yeah, unfortunately, I just tried to import it into Banktivity and it failed. Told me it actually it recognized the file. It it did the loading of the file and then uh, it wouldn't let me save it anywhere. Or it asked me to choose a destination uh, account and then said none of the accounts support this format, whatever that means. So I so it didn't work for me, unfortunately. I want to go back to the banktivity. Yeah. And, and what was the one you mentioned? You dropped another name there, Jaime? Needed an accountant or something like that? or uh, Probably like Intuit's suite of stuff like Quicken, I'd imagine. No, okay. I, th- I thought I heard another buzz, another sort of Californication. Uh, uh, you Need a Budget is a pretty popular... You Need a Budget, yeah. Um, I don't actually know. I, I've I've not used it myself, but it's a budgeting financial, you know, personal financial management budgeting type app. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, and fun, it's funny. Well, not funny. It's unfortunate for Mark, but it's interesting here that there's a comment here in the in the article about people having issues with banktivity. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, and they contacted IGG support and it's like, hey, yep. we've heard this from other people too. Uh, the OFX, oh, the OFX file is missing many tags required by the OFX specifications. So, mm. so much for open standard. It's yeah. almost, well, it's it. It's it, it sounds like it's uh, it's an accidental, you know, two for one. This is the daily double pick where um, you know test driven development. Maybe give it a try. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> right. Well, we can't see it over that big wall you guys got around your country there. So, all righty. Um, my my quick pick here too is a, is a, a follow up. We've talked about music notation before. And we've talked about using the iPad and pencil things like that. And uh, this is a new uh, app that came up. And this is for the music musicians in the crowd, possibly even Mark. Um, an app called Staff Pad, which is now available on the iPad Pros and as well uh, works with the Apple Pencil. And it's basically a music notation software that you can use. It basically uses handwriting handwriting recognition to write. So people are there's a video here of somebody actually writing out the um, the score, as it were, and um, ties in with uh, many popular uh, uh, so- softwares and stuff like that. It's not um, not inexpensive. Anyway, it is a port of a, of a, a Windows uh, Microsoft Surface app. Um, but yeah, it's come over to, iP- to the iPad, and it's kind of cool. So yeah, this looks really cool. I, I don't really do any composing, so I I wouldn't necessarily have a use for it. But but it seems really awesome. Yeah, I threw it over to a friend of mine who is, is a you know in Canada. We have this thing called the Junos, and she's been nominated a number of times. And and we'll see what she does with it. I did some work with her in the past, but she writes her own composition. So she has some of her music you know broken out into orchestration. She plays with like a, a like a full like she has like a quartet that comes tours with her and stuff like that. So she writes her music and then has it broken out into. Uh, orchest- orchestrated, I guess it were. And um, yeah, so yeah, just here, the last last line, it says uh, it starts on the Apple uh, Apple Store or App Store at $89.99. So it's sort of a pro-level software in terms of cost. There's a reader that they have here. I think it's like uh, $12.99 in-app purchase, it says here. Um, yeah, so cool tool. But uh, yeah, price like a pro tool. So we'll have to see what uh, what becomes of it. So this is, uh, this is the eternal question that's going to come up for the next little while. As soon as I heard about flip phones, the first thing I thought was, how long is that display going to handle being open and closed, open and closed, open and closed? Because, uh, you know, we've been talking about foldable and bendable OLED displays for a while, and I'm not sure. Yeah, this is an OLED as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, this picture's here. Um, I don't know how long. Uh, yeah, after one week, uh, as opposed here, of a Motorola Razr uh, display is already starting to delaminate and show signs of wear and tear from having been open and closed. Wow. Um, so that's just, a, I think it's just a matter of, Finding the right plastics or whatever, but uh, and then it raises the question: Should phones actually fold or not? So I don't know if I, I hadn't heard if I heard any any of the Samsungs are having problems with them yet, but that's just been up for a week as well, right? Samsung model. Yeah, I thought that was the one you were talking about when I first saw this link. Um, yeah, the the Galaxies or Z Flip or whatever Flip it's seven, called, Flip Seven or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one yeah. is also having issues. Is it already? Yeah, so it's a, it's a two for one, and wow. Just to make things even better, Samsung's like, yeah, we're going to start selling this displays to other manufacturers i'm like i, great, <laughs> I don't know about great. this this seems like not a good idea yeah yeah well we've had, we've had i mean there's been challenges with with displays over the years i mean like like in fact the model of mac you were just talking about the 2012 15 inch um retina i think it's a retina display on your, your screen right they were there were some of them were made by lg and some of them were made by samsung in that first year um some of the screens had burn-in and um like where you would you know if you change the like if you were looking at a bunch of open windows and you close to a dark background you would see the pattern or shape of the windows on there there was a recall for like the first year they were out and apple was replacing those displays but yeah that's when we first kind of learned that you know displays aren't necessarily made by the same manufacturer and stuff like that but and there is obviously difference in quality between one manufacturer and another so so i, I knew a few i know a few people who still have the same model and, and never bothered to get the screen replaced but i th- i know i did because mine had a problem and i had 
got it replaced under warranty. But anytime there's a moving part of any kind that, you know, it's always, I always suspect it's going to have a wear and tear, tear issues. I've gone through numbers of Macs of hinge, hinge problems over the years and cracking and, and video cables getting pinched and so on and so forth. So it's not surprising. Like holding the whole display to me sounds like just a, an accident waiting to happen. Pardon, pardon the dropping of an expression there. Any other comments on that? I'm not surprised given how they have decided to make these things foldable. Um, I think the general concepts is still sound. I think we're really waiting for the other components. And I think this might have come up a long time ago when we first talked about this. I'm talking like a couple of years ago, at least, when it was mentioned. Um, I was like, okay, cool. So the display can bend, but what about the rest? All right, there's circuitry that can, you know, people can wear it and close. Cool, cool. But the batteries are like the biggest issue, for, like, and probably will continue to be the biggest issue. Like, can you bend that sucker or... Uh, have two independent batteries that can be used and then the connector between them um, be bendable, but also not sort of snag in any way. Like those, whichever year of MacBook Pro it was that, you know, they didn't have enough slack on the hinge. So when you, as you move the hinge, you were slowly making that connection worse. You remember this? Yeah. 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 Well, this goes all the way back to like, uh, I had a Wall Street um, G3 uh, power book that had a, a wonky cable. I had to get that. that got replaced under warranty. And then I'm, I have the, the titanium Mac I was just talking about last week or a couple of weeks ago that I've just resurrected. It also has a potential where the, the backlight cable gets pinched and the backlight turns off, right? So, um, I mean, it's, it's, there's a history of, of, you know, many things going wrong with, with bendy and foldable stuff, right? So not a, per, not a, not a perfect science yet. Anywho, I mean, and, and again, like Mark was saying, like, you know, the, I think the future is like holographic displays or, you know, see all the sci-fi movies, they have like a little piece of acrylic that they hold and that's, that's the phone and they protect oh, the image onto it. I don't really think holographic displays are no, the future. No, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, you know, what I'm, like I'm saying, like, like, like a bent, like a foldable, foldable, bendable screen. I don't know. It's like, uh, I don't know. I think it's too soon, too early. Mind you, I should say that, that like those LCD panels you see at all the rock shows these days are pretty cool. You know, I think once they get to the point where they they can make them modular and replaceable, have like have, have them as panels instead of a single unique display, right? Yeah. I, oh, I'm less you, I'm less pessimistic than you. I think we're only a couple of years away from having these foldable displays being great, but it's just a little yeah. just a little bit early now. Yeah, I think it's just a matter of finding the right materials. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. What are you going to say, Jaime? Uh, so you were talking about the giant display stuff. So a lot of that stuff nowadays is. Um, Sony tech or, or very similar where uh, a very giant screen like at the concert you were talking about is probably not one screen. It's made up of many, many. Yeah. It's made up of a ton of little panels, uh, right, about, exactly, about yeah. two feet by three feet replaceable panels. That, oh, no, they're, that smaller than that. they're like 10 by 10 inches. Uh, I'm sure there's, I'm, I'm sure there's those, but the, the ones that I've seen, um, like the kinds that the the Dallas Cowboys have at AT&T Stadium. They're about two feet by three feet panels that they can individually replace. Like, uh, think of it like tile in your bathroom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I think I think it's only going to be a matter of time that before that sort of shrinks down. But uh, like every show you go to these days has a has a big giant you know panel display thing like behind this you know like huge video monitors and that kind of stuff, right? So it's just it's coming along. It used to be big giant light bulbs. Now it's gone shrunk down to LEDs, and it'll get even smaller, right? Because I mean, essentially that's what you're looking at at a, at a um, any monitor you look at is just 
you know, three RGB, red, green, blue lights, you know, really shrunk down. And that's how you're getting what you're looking at, right? If you ever, like, take a magnifying glass and look, like, zoom in on your, your even on your iPhone, you'll find that that's what it is, right? So, but, yeah, we're just waiting for waiting for the technology to be perfected. And, again, the question raises the question, do we need this, right? So, well, do, do we need any of the stuff that we have? <laughs> yeah, I know. So, so like, like here in Canada, just looking at this, this, I have a $20 bill in my hand, and it's made of a polymer, right? Uh, we went, we went to polymer money, you know, I don't know, five, 10 years ago and five years ago, let's say. And, um, it's Wait, all well and good, but you, when you, fold you actually it, you have money your... that you can like carry and hold in your hands, it's not just on yeah. your phone or on plastic or something. Yeah, we, we do. Wow. We have this, this crazy stuff called, yep. And it's, and it's like, um, the problem is with it is it's a plastic, right? But when you when you fold it and put it in your pocket, it gets like almost like a permanent crease, right? And mm-hmm. and the I think the wear and I mean they're supposed to last longer than paper bills, but I found paper bills seem to have longer longer life than these do. I may be wrong, but uh, I find I find the paper, the plastic money is just weird. Like it it just creases up and yeah, whatever. Mind you, like I don't know. Like it depends. I guess it depends, it depends on how you what how you put it in your pocket and stuff like that. Anyway, moving on. Let's move on to some licensing issues there, Jaime. Uh, not issues per se, but, you know, last week we were talking about um, sort of the state of open source licenses in 2020. And folks were asking, how do I find licenses? And I've got a couple links here we'll have in the show notes for those of you driving at home. One is at opensource.org, which has uh, not only a listing of the popular licenses, but if you go to all approved licenses, there are all of them, I would suppose. It's like more than a hundred, I would guess. I didn't count. Um, tons of them. And the other one, if you're like, all right, I, I'm in an even worse position, I just make it very simple for me. Then you're going to want choosealicense.com, which has <laughs> simple questions like, what do you want to do? You want to work in a community? Do you want to be simple and permissive? Do you care about sharing improvements or do you want other choices? I can help you. I think of it as like, all right, you know, I, I really desperately care about making sure that this continues to stay open and the new improvements come out. Cool. Then you're probably going to want the GNU general public license. You want it to be sort of my fave of like open and completely permissive. Do it as you please. Well, the MIT license is right there. And then there's others like, look, if you're in the Apache community, guess what? You're going to have to use the Apache license. That's just some resources here to help people as they make their decisions. Cool. All right. Um, so uh, last week, I think it was last week, I talked about the the book um, Beyond the Valley, or was it two weeks ago? Do you guys remember? Anyway, so there's the, and there was some discussion a while ago. I think one of our one of our fans asked us to talk about this early on in in the sort of Democratic race for the U.S. presidency about uh, something Elizabeth Warren had said about you know breaking up the large monopolies that are you know Facebooks and Googles and Apples and stuff like that. Um, so back on the author of, um, of Beyond the Valley is Ramesh. Uh, Siravan Nisan, um, and he's talking, he was back on another podcast again this week, uh, a, little, a little bit more uh, detail on that, what I was talking about. He's talking about uh, calling for a di- digital bill of rights. And I should say, just full disclosure here, apparently he's working on Bernie Sanders' campaign as, as an advisor to Bernie Sanders. But uh, it was interesting when he's talk- he, he expounded a bit more on what I was talking about with the... Um, use of AI uh, in, in 
by these big tech companies and um, how the police forces are using recording or recording people's faces with their with their you know their body cams that they wear right and um, those videos are being used by um, being sold and then used by um, ICE which is immigration and something or other what do you guys call ICE oh, immigration and customs enforcement um, to identify um, whether people are like a registered um, what do you call them registered looking for the term here or undocumented immigrant right and what's what's interesting about it is it's misrecognizing some people as undocumented when in fact they are documented undocumented immigrant. What's the term terminology? I'm missing. Uh, but anyway, so it's just sort of this how this AI is being used uh, um, in sort of incorrect ways. Um, and the idea of the the breaking up of the the large companies is is that there's no sort of um, rules or regulations behind how they use the information or what they do with the information they collect those. And which is interesting too, what he says, Mark, is because uh, you've brought this up before that if you don't have a Facebook account, they can't really follow but apparently they can and they do um, sort of keep track of what what uh, people are doing uh, around the world right so uh, just an interesting interesting uh, talk uh, if you want to sit and listen to it or you can read through this uh, transcript I'll link to in the phone in the show notes I don't know if you guys have had a chance to scan through any of this yet of course he talks about our friend mr. Zuckerberg and his comments about free speech um, kind of um, excusing some of the things he does but one thing that uh, Ramesh says about um, about Facebook is that Facebook's not really a democracy either because um, the executive there are involved in every decision whoever said like, they were a democracy well I mean that's this that's the point he's saying that that it's not and maybe people need to be sort of brought wise to that right that uh, that it isn't you know that the, these large companies these mega companies have a lot of information about us and and uh, there's a question as to whether or not that should be they should be broken up into smaller entities or they should be regulated in some ways you know and this doesn't just apply to the u.s it also applies to canada and other places around the world right i think on the show we normally say uh, vote with your wallets but i think in this case uh, vote with your votes <laughs> yeah registered vote that's for sure but it, it'd be interesting to see where, where it goes with this uh with this uh whole in, in idea of a digital bill of rights i think uh was it tim cook talking about this too a while ago like having some sort of he was talking more about privacy right right so i think something like the european union's gdpr data general mm -hmm. data protections regulate regulation I forget what that stands for um i think those sorts of things will continue to get pushed uh, to the forefront around the globe. Um, it has some intersection here with this Bill of Rights, uh, digital Bill of Rights is being talked about as a concept here. So I'll definitely have to listen to this uh, this podcast. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think as we start to more concretely realize that the digital life is really kind of blurry and not quite as distinct from you know the the hashtag uh, real life that we have out here um we'll have to come to grips with this as a as a society mm -hmm. and as developers since we're at the forefront of it right in a lot of cases yeah we we can certainly you know do our part to uh push things into the you know make the world a better place as you'd like to see it sort of thing um but at a minimum we would have to keep our eyes on you know, ethical and moral and legal responsibilities. Mm -hmm. All right. So I added a section here of the show called the coronavirus because uh, Jaime was posting during the week, uh, I think it was two, at last count, three conferences that have been canceled um, that are hosted in Asia um, that have been canceled because of uh, fears of the coronavirus. At least four uh, specifically to Japan. I just happened to, to know about these. So mm -hmm. uh, on the Android side, Droid Kaigi, 
uh, the developer relations area, DevRelCon Tokyo, which is one I spoke at last year. Uh, on the Swift side is TriSwift Tokyo, and going in the JavaScript world, uh, TSConf for uh, TypeScript has canceled right. theirs. So it's these are all canceled or postponed to later in the year. You know, pending you know, hopefully uh, a break in the, uh, in the, in the outbreak and then making, you know, when things resolve. But for right now we, we'd seen the mobile world Congress in somewhere in Spain. I can't remember if it's Madrid or Barcelona um, that was canceled because all of the big exhibitors were pulling out and it sort of didn't make sense anymore as people were rightfully mm. so worried about the, the safety of their employees. And um, it, it's definitely going to be an impact felt in the world economically uh, related to this. And and I think, Tim, that works out pretty well to some of these articles you have linked here. Yeah. So what I've got linked here is this, this came out on the news yesterday that uh, Apple is warning the investors that uh, their, their estimates for uh, the second quarter uh, of their year um, will probably fall short. And that's what they're saying. And they've got a, a link here from their their PR newsroom um, just to let people know that that uh, and and I think we talked about last week the fact that you know people at Foxconn were they extended the New Year so that they didn't have to come to work. Um, but uh, there's another article here from CNBC saying that five million com- companies worldwide uh, will be impacted by um, uh, the lack of productivity because of the coronavirus affecting their workplaces. So Apple stock dropped 10 bucks yesterday on this news, uh, but it's back up today where it was pretty much. It's down maybe a buck from where it was two days ago. So I think the consensus is that, yeah, it's an impact, uh, but it's a transient thing for Apple's business and it's not anything systemic. So it's not going to have too much of an effect for investors. Right. Right. But yeah, I mean, the, the I mean, the bigger news, I think, is, is that the it's going to affect, I mean, it's going to affect everything, really, you know, because um, a lot of, a lot of uh, Fortune 500 companies have, have, have built, you know, up their, their stores or whatever, built up their manufacturing through uh, Asia, China specifically. Um, yeah. So it's going to, I think it's going to have an effect over time. Sure. Um, yeah. Yep. All right. So wash your hands, folks. And, you know. Alrighty. Have um, there been any cases in Toronto yet? In Toronto? Yes, I think we've had a few. Um, we're not as many as Seattle. I'm kidding. Um, yeah, we know we have had some in <laughs> Toronto. Um, and we've, we're now getting, um, people flown in from, um, from Asia, like who were on cruise trips or, or stuck in, stuck in the country. Canada has sent planes over to evacuate people and they're taking them to Trenton, which is, uh, pretty much up the road from Toronto. It's closer to Ottawa, but, uh, or halfway between Toronto and Ottawa. And it's a big military base where they've got, you know, facilities to, to put people in quarantine. So they're apparently making people go into two week quarantines when they come back to the country before they can be released into the population. Right. So, but I think we do have, we do have some uh, cases here in, in Toronto as well. I don't think we've had any deaths, though. I'm not sure. I think in, in the States, there was some in Seattle and I'm not sure where else, if you guys have heard anything about your uh, around the rest, rest we, of your country. We've had cases in the Bay Area, but no deaths yet. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we've had deaths either. Um, the one wild case was that some comedian guy who got off the, uh, what was it? The, it might've been the Diamond Princess. I don't know how many of these cruise ships are, are being quarantined around the world, but he got off one, went snuck out i guess to go to uh thailand and then dubai and then from there to seattle and then he's gotten himself a um a rental car to go to his 
home of Eugene, Oregon. Uh, so he slipped through the cracks in like an outbreak monkey. He is, you know, scurrying through the, the countryside. So that one but was... do we know he's infected or carrying or I whatever? mean, I, I kind of felt offended when I watched the nightly news. And I was like, and, and you didn't citizens arrest this person? I'm like, I'm not, I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> I'm certainly not a, a cop or a robocop. But I kind of feel like we should be like, oh, shucks, look, this guy slipped through the cracks. I'm like, maybe you should have stopped him yeah. and said like, hey... This dude needs to be tested now. Nice. Like, quarantines are, like, a serious thing. Like, I want to see, like, you know, if you've ever seen the movie E.T., the extraterrestrial, I want to see that scene where they come and, like, you know, hazmat the entire house sort of thing, you know. The scary part for kids, that part. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Yeah, so moving on, we have a story. Of course, we're all speculating on the iPhone 12 and whether it'll support uh, 5G. That's uh, After the Super Bowl, I think everybody should start start supporting 5G, right? Um, but uh, so the – and since Apple has sort of settled on um, – uh, settled their, their, their arguments with uh, Qualcomm, they're sort of playing nice now. Um, there's discussion about whether Apple will use Qualcomm's 5G antenna or five, chips with 5G antennas in the next coming phones. But apparently – reading through this article they apparently seem to be too big for apple's sort of svelte style of uh, building thin phones so the snapdragon x55 uh, or is that 1055 i don't know um 5g chip um may or may not be used in apple's thing there's also rumor that apple is working on their own um not so much to say yet we don't we don't really know what's gonna happen yeah like like i'm almost certainly going to buy like spoilers for when we have the september you know middle of september edition of this very show i'm almost certainly going to buy whatever new iphone comes out i'm Mm -hmm. I'm rocking an iphone 10 it's been a few generations i feel like 5g is more g's than i have now so pretty good reason to to upgrade if, if nothing else so I have a, a vested interest in where this goes, but I'm I'm kind of of two minds of like, well, I don't know if there will be even a decent um, 5G network, you know, for practical reasons in the area where I live, or, or you know, what would it look like for the areas that I visit? And um, right. what this article here is talking about, you know, uh, phone thickness. I really don't care. That kind of feels like a, I mean, as long as it's not like a 1980s Gordon Gecko sort of phone, right? Like, <laughs> As long as it's reasonable, I really don't care if it's, you know, slightly, um, you know, slightly thicker. Um, battery life is probably going to be the biggest thing for me. So I'm very interested in sort of the, the outcome of this, but the particulars are, are beyond me. Right. Cool. All right. Um, yeah, this is, a, I guess this is kind of follow-up, actually, not really main topic, but um, uh, the human interface guidelines, which we recommend people check out every, from time to time, of course, is a sort of almost like a living document now. In fact, it used to be published as PDF and sort of get, we get new updates every six months. Now it's gone to being an online resource for people. Um, so yeah, there's, so there's some uh, new announcements of what's new in the Apple Design resor- Resources. Um, Signing with Apple obviously has a new logo um, in PDF, PNG, and SVG formats. Um, different kind of buttons, Apple Pay templates, my uh, iMessage app uh, stuff, uh, iPad portrait keyboard uh, files for sketch and photoshop but but uh, on this page that i've linked it's got a whole list of uh, the various resources that are available for um, the human interface guidelines as far as graphics and design go and then there's a whole lot of uh, um, other sort of things about ui and so you can deal, dig through on this online page so once i guess as i said before we've i think we've linked to the human interface guidelines site before but uh, this is specifically what's new in the latest version of uh, ios 13 
sign in with Apple logo resources, it looks like. That's nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a new one, right? Yeah. You spotted one in the wild, you said the other day. You sent a link to us, right? Yeah, I finally found one, you know, myself, that is uh, that is an option that's uh, Trulia. It's a real estate app similar to, like, Zillow or Redfin. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I didn't actually sign up. It just came up because I wanted to bookmark a particular um, particular house, and that came up. I was like, cool. I got all excited, texted you guys, and then I never went back to sign up. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> even though it's super easy, barely yeah. an inconvenience, I, I still, you know, I don't want to have to log into stuff unless I really, really, you know, I need like two or three bookmarks, I think would be good. Yeah. Well, like the pay with Apple Pay thing that, that was supposed to be coming to the web too. I mean, I've only used it maybe four or five times and since it came out. Have you guys used pay with Apple much on, on the web? I've actually never example? used it. I've never seen it. Really? Oh, yep. okay. Yeah, pay with Apple ID or you double click your, yeah, it's uh, um, it's similar to like, it's, you know, I guess a JavaScript something or other they put in their web page and it lets mm-hmm. you, you know, use that as a payment gateway, right? So. Right. Do you know of anything? I have not, but since I mentioned my the pain that I had to go through to get my my cloned and now new MacBook with mm-hmm. uh, with the Touch ID and Apple Pay set up. Oh yeah, you can pay on your Mac, right? I would like to do that. Do you, does do you or or maybe this is a hashtag, hashtag AskMTJC thing of like what thing, regardless of how silly it is, should I go buy just so I can try out Apple Pay on Safari? I think that some of the some of the book resources that I've purchased for I'm not sure Gumroad might have it or um, Pragmatic Programmer. Um, I'm just thinking like some of those things like where where you you're, I'm sitting on the streetcar and I want to buy a book or something and it pops up and I'm like yeah sure whatever. Sometimes um, uh, you know that Taito I think it is that does like ticket events event tickets. I think they have it with as well. So but I, I probably can find you something some useless widget that you want to buy right. <laughs> yeah, some some lame tchotchke is fine. You know it'd be, it'd be great. <laughs> if it was useful but as long as it's not yeah you know highly priced or or absurd sure. i think it'd be fine oh you know well i know one, one place i can use it is um uh, we have a service here called ritual which is like a like a food app where um like, like we have a lot of food courts downtown and if you want to you want to you want to avoid the lineup you use this app um to order your meal or whatever it is uh and you you pay with it through the phone and, and it uses apple pay as a, as a mechanism so and it's sort of a website-y thing, right? But that's that's more like in an app, though, I guess. If you're looking for something like more on a website, right? Yeah, to try out the Safari, because I, I I mean, maybe they have a progressive web app that, that supports that, but... Mm, maybe. I hadn't heard of the one that you're talking about, so I'm not even sure if it's yeah, I think it's I think available. it's Toronto-only, kind of Canada-only thing. It's a local so if I, if I VPN in and they say, Tim, run to the food court right now because <laughs> yeah. you got an order of some yeah, French fries. Yeah, order me a roadie tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, or some uh, some some. Oh, what a roadie? What's a roadie? Roadie? It's a West Indian. Um, oh, oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. a big burrito that that's got yeah. like uh, it's got like corn or whatever, and it's good. You put curry, like potato and meat, in curry sauce, and you then you fold it into like a square. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a roti. Roti. I'm probably saying it was roadie, as it sounds like with a. Yeah, that's how I heard it. Yeah. Roti. Yeah. And I know um, you Canadians like to name things with you know, root of the word with eat followed by e to sort of huh? yeah this is a thing <laughs> <All right. laughs> this is a thing okay um, like some the of other- okay um, the one I just heard about was uh, York peppermint patties yeah those are that's a candy very well known yeah. candy uh-huh. what do you call them in Canada York peppermint patties okay I'm told they're called Yorkies. No. Yeah. Well, that's those are the kids you work with, man. Well, maybe is so. it spelled because it's spelled with an e? Y or Y or I, I don't. K-E? I don't know the 
entomology of it. Uh, no, York peppermint patties. We have some in the fridge. Okay. Yeah. Do you call your fridge a fridge? You call a fridge a fridge, yes. Okay, just checking. <laughs> That's from Frigidaire for those of you driving at home. Anyway, um, this last one here, I think. Oh, so this is you, honey. You're up next. Yeah, so the fine individuals at uh, Swift.org have provided us new hotness. So every time new stuff comes out for Swift, they're like, wow, look at this really cool proposal that came out. It sure will be nice someday when that's in Swift you know, version.x. It doesn't mm-hmm. really matter the specific version. And it can be a little frustrating. Of like, well, all right, I want to try out the new thing, but I kind of don't really want to have to build the whole tool chain just to try out this simple little feature. Um, now you don't really have to. The standard library preview package will start including this stuff before it becomes available in an official release. So you don't have to go through the, the pain of setting up the tool chain to, to build up everything yourself. And the idea behind this is not just to give people a sneak preview, but actually to use this as part of the uh, feedback process of like, all right, you know, it's nice to look at a proposal and it's like, yeah, that's pretty well thought out. I think that would work, but it's totally different than going out there and actually trying trying it out and seeing like, oh, actually there's some weird use cases here, or there's some really sharp edges here. So I think this is pretty neat that you can do this and use the uh, Swift package manager to pull that down. Hmm. Cool. So because I thought there was a way of adding a new tool chain in Xcode already, right? Like that you're talking about? Yeah. But I think for my understanding for that is that would be just for the, um, like blessed versions of stuff like, Oh, you know, Swift oh, okay. 5. Yeah, 5 like this, is, this is pre-release stuff, you know, it's stuff that's been accepted, but not formally released. So it's mm-hmm. sort of, I guess it's sort of beta ish. Yeah. That's probably a pretty good way of thinking about it. They don't, I don't think they use the word beta anywhere on here, but it is very similar to a beta. Well, this sounds more like, like they're loading it through Swift package manager kind of idea. To it make it easy like the to coding, put the code example they got here looks mm-hmm. very similar to how you would do like a, almost like a CocoaPod kind of thing, right? Yeah. So they're trying to make it easy because cause you could do this before, right? They mentioned like, oh, yeah, you could, oh, yeah. you know, go build Swift yourself because it's, it's open source. Why not? But it's a real hassle to get all that stuff set up. Right. Cool. Yeah. Like they're saying here, you just put the package URL into your code and um, I guess when it runs, it runs, right? Take that first spin right out. Yeah. And apparently you can also... Um, Put your proposal, which, you know, oh. all the proposal, proposals require an implementation. You can use that as a package yourself. So then presumably it's easier for people reviewing to try it out themselves. Okay. All right. So uh, let's uh, move on to our picks. And Mark has a really cool pick, which I saw earlier and was going to put in, but uh, you got it here before gotta Lopez fast. got to it. Got to move fast huh? around here. That's what you I've got learned. It before, you got it, <laughs> yeah, you got it in there before Lopez, before you got lopez Right. Well, yeah, so I actually did see it on the streetcar on the way in. And actually, it's funny. I went to post it on our, our internal uh, internal Slack thing. We don't use Slack, but we have a similar thing. Um, and I went to post it, and, and I noticed a couple of lines before me, one of the other developers had also posted it in there, mm. too. So I can't win. So off you go, Jaime. Or sorry, Mark. And actually, what's Jaime say? I saw this, but threw it in the backlog of things to talk about. Oh, I see. Uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, right. uh-huh. Just adding to the, the chain of uh, <laughs> the, the buzz, the buzz around this this particular uh, yeah. pick. Anyway, so do you want to hear my pick? Yeah, yeah sure. Let's hear Give her. So this is a blog post called iOS Performance Tips You Probably Didn't Know, parentheses, from an ex-Apple engineer. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty interesting. There's He's got five tips, 
one of which actually uh, is, is really interesting now, but I will caution that since the first time the article came out, he's now edited it and said that he's had some feedback from some other Apple engineers yeah. and there may be some issues with it, but, but let me say what it is first. I don't say what the issues are. So the first one is about UI label. So if you think about a UI label, uh, under the hood, when it's rendered on the screen, it's basically a bitmap. So so if you have a label with lots of colors and annotated strings and all sorts of all sorts of stuff, multicolored things, that can take up a lot of memory. Uh and uh, his example is on a on an iPhone 11 Pro Max, a label of size 414 by 100 points could be up to one and a half megabytes for a non-monochrome label. A monochrome one will be smaller, of course. So if you have a whole bunch of labels sitting around in memory, that's potentially taking up a huge amount of memory in your app. So what he recommends, and here's here's where we have to be careful, uh, is that you nil out any any labels when you're when you're not using them, even if they're you know, if they're in a if they're in a uh, reused cell, table view cell, and they're off screen, uh, so even though it's not actually on screen at the moment, uh, because of the, the the queuing and the reuse, that cell may still exist somewhere in memory, still holding this this label, taking up a whole bunch of space, even though it's not even on the screen. So by nilling it out, it clears out the memory and, and frees it up. Now, having having said all that, uh, he says that uh, there is a lot of optimization in UI label, and uh, this it may not actually be that bad. Uh, and in fact, uh, one uh, Apple developer, uh, some at Inferis, I-N-F-E-R-I-S, says, quote, as for the case in point, suppose a future update to UI label optimizes how it, parentheses, reuses backing store, your optimization is now making things parentheses potentially a lot worse. So be careful about it, but uh, something to something to take into consideration. You know, run instruments, see if see if this helps, and and it might actually free up some space for your for your app at runtime. Yeah, cool. So uh, there's four other ones. I'll go through those a little more quickly. Uh, number two is always start with serial queues and only use concurrent queues as a last resort. Number three is it might not be as bad as it looks uh, because what he's saying is the the memory usage that you're shown in like in the in the uh, the gauges or something in Xcode might not be so might not actually be as bad because some elements even though they're not using the the memory uh, might not actually free it up until you get a memory warning so it's just kind of sitting there it, it probably won't hurt anything because as soon as a memory warning warning shows up it'll go away. Uh, but uh, but it might actually still be marked as as in use. So keep an eye on that. Uh, number four is avoid using dismatch semaphore T to wait for asynchronous work. Uh, you can read the details on that about why that's an issue. That's not something I commonly mm-hmm. do, so it's, it doesn't really apply to me. And the last one's an interesting one. Don't use UI view tags. Now, UI view tags are something that I used to use a lot. Actually, uh, I haven't. I probably haven't used one in in at least five or six years. But I used to use them a lot. Um, but, uh, apparently they, they cause issues that every, every time you set a, you get or set a tag, you're doing a dictionary lookup somewhere, which I guess makes sense, uh, which, uh, can really slow things down if you're, if you're accessing a lot of, a lot of UI, uh, in, and trying to do it quickly. So this is what the tags you used to do in interface builder, like, well, so, so every, every UI view or subclass of UI view has a tag property. So you can use it to, to, uh, 
keep track of what all the views are on your screen if you want to. So yeah, right, yes, yeah. you can set them in interface builder or, but you can set them in code as well. And uh, you know, a common usage was, you know, if you want to know, say which, which cell, for example, was, was, um, you know, calling a delegate or something, you could pass the tag back or something, something like that. Mm. Uh, just a, a way to, a way of identifying which one out of a set of tags it might be, Ooh, a set of, sorry, a set of views, uh, that is the one that that's, uh, that's of interest. Well, maybe this is related. I used to do a, um, when I was teaching iOS back in the day, we used to build a calculator app and we would have, you know, 10 buttons on the screen for the numbers, right? Yep. And we would add a tag to the number, tag to each button to represent the, the digit you were tapping. Yeah, sure. So we'd read back, we'd read the tag value as, as the key you hit, right? Cause, right. And then we would just be able to assign all those buttons to the same action, right? Yeah. Well, that, sorry, Tim, but that doesn't sound like a good, uh, <laughs> a good That's not a best practice, code. eh? Well, yeah. Yeah, but definitely not a best practice. Yeah. <laughs> it was easy, though. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Mm. Well, don't do that, though, because it'll slow down your code. I guess so. Yeah. So anyway, so those are five tips. Take a look at the article for more details. Uh, I found it kind of interesting. Yeah, I did, too. Yep. Jordan Jaime, apparently. Yeah, well, apparently. He says he found it interesting. We don't I, really know. We don't really know. Not. There was no timestamp <laughs> on his. Did you notice I put timestamp on some of my links? Anyway. I, yes, you're getting very paranoid about that, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to point out it's not a contest. Anyway, um, all right, so how many you're up next with a pick? Yeah, um, the folks at GitHub have released a command line tool as you interact with GitHub, which is kind of neat. I've unfortunately not had a chance to set this up and try this out myself, but looking at this blog post that announces it, it seems pretty neat. So if you are dealing with, you know, one or two repositories, a handful of pull requests probably doesn't make that big of a difference. But if you're like me, I'm having to deal with tons of pull requests across many different repositories, kind of looking for ways to just be able to see, you know, what's out there that I have to deal with. Um, what are the, what are the issues that are open? I might want to open up pull requests to do very quick things. Definitely want to see the status of my work, um, being able to, to check out stuff without having, to, like, let's say you're like, oh, somebody wants me to take a look at this. Cool. Uh, all right. Let me go find the pull request. Let me go do it. No, no, no. Just what's the number? 255? Sweet. Let me check that out. See how it works on my, my machine. So I'm definitely liking the fact that this is available. Um, it is in beta. Your kilometerage may vary, as they say. Nobody says that but you. Um, is that- <laughs> I'm making it a thing like fetch, right? <laughs> is uh, is this specific to using GitHub or is this, does this work with Git in general? Yeah, that's an interesting question because people have gotten confused. This is not a Git client. This is specific to GitHub. I don't think there's any way that this would work with like GitLab. Right, so if you're on Bitbucket, you're not going to be using this tool. Right, right. This is very specific to your organization has bought into a GitHub or you're using GitHub, right. you know, for your own personal reasons. Because it would be super handy. Like, you know, we have our Bitbucket we use a web interface for, right? And uh, I mean, the, the more senior programmers tend to use command line, but... Uh, yeah, it sure would be nice to be able to go find a PR real quick, as, as your example explained uh, there. Maybe there is a way to do that. I don't know, but it uh, could be a question for the folks at the office there. Cool. Julio. All right, I got a couple of picks. Well, I got three picks, it looks like here. Um, this one was a quick one. I saw this uh, new product. Uh, it's basically a 90-watt DAN. I'm not sure what that means. Dual USB. Gallium nitride. Gallium nitride. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, dual USB-C charger. Uh, for those of you who have, like, the new MacBook Pro 16, Jaime. Um, 
which is cool. What it is is uh, uh, it has actually it's a little bit smaller than the uh, current brick uh, that you get with your with your MacBook Pro. Um, we've gone through a few of these charging bricks over time. I mean, probably we've gone through more of these charging bricks than we have keyboards on our MacBook or our USB Macs. Um, but what's cool about this thing is it uh, not only it also has two USB out, so you could charge two devices from it. Um, so it's a dual port, obviously. And um, there was one other thing about it. I think it's less money, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so yeah, it's uh, $55 US as opposed to r- roughly $80 US for the Apple Apple version. That's kind of cool little uh, cool little device. If you're I mean, if you're like me, whenever I buy a Mac, I always I always end up getting a second charger because I like to keep one in my bag and one on my desk or, you know, one for traveling and one for when, when I'm at home kind of thing, just for convenience sake. Um, so like I have one connected to my Mac right now, but I have another one over there by the co- by the couch. So when I move over after the podcast over, I go sit on the couch and work. Um, I you know I don't have to lug my charger over with me. Uh, or the same thing when I was you know at the office, I'll have a charger and then I'll have a different one here at home. Um, just so, so it's kind of handy to have a second charger. But this one's kind of cool because you can also supercharge your iPhone. Or if you've ever tried charging your uh, your um, uh, iPhone with a USB cable off one of these bricks. It's pretty quick. I don't know if I'm going to start any fires, but uh, I've done it from time to time in a pinch. It's much faster than charging from directly from your Mac. So this is kind of a follow-up story, and it's also something that I tried out. We talked about this in the past. We've talked about for years now. We've been talking about having pro apps on your iPads, and now I have an iPad Pro with a pencil. I kind of expect it to be an iPad, a pro environment. So, and of course, we're podcasters here, and um, so this we looked at this product before called Ferrite, which or Ferrite Recording Studio is the full name of it, available on the App Store. Um, it's free. Uh, you can try it out. So it seems to be fine. You can do like ten minutes of recording and. And, uh, on the free version, but if you want to get into like doing a, an episode of podcast or more than just code, which roughly ends up being at least an hour, if not an hour and a half, um, you can use this Ferrite tool. So there's a, a video here posted by Jason Snell um, of Six Colors. I have to basically reach out to him because I have a few questions about this. But uh, what's <laughs> my, my series waking up? Go away, Siri. Um, anyway, uh, so so I thought I watched the video, saw how he edited the uh, the uh, show on, on his uh, one of his podcasts on uh, using Ferrite. Looked pretty pretty slick. Got some music quick user interface, sort of tricks and gestures and things that you can use. I have to say it was really fast to learn how to use it. Um, I added, by the way, so if you're, if you're curious, I added the last episode 55 of Spotcast using it and uh, learned a couple of tricks, you know, from, from watching Jason do his thing. And I might try, I might try those same tricks in Logic uh, this week to sort of edit the, edit the show a bit faster. Um, but I was able to do the entire show, like I edited from beginning to end in one, in, in one, with one project. And then I added the music and the outros um, did the whole thing there. I didn't quite do what I do sometimes with, with this show where we sometimes have some of our after shows actually before we start recording the official show and I move it over to the end, uh, sort of an inside uh, baseball story story there. But um, so it was kind of cool to use this. Um, I had to pay $40 US to, to get the full upgrade, which was which is fine. I'm happy doing that. However, I found some weirdness with the audio. I don't know if, did you listen to the last podcast yet, Jaime? I did. Uh, I don't recall what the issue you said was was with, with the audio but did you notice anything weird like weird sort of like so what it is is a, a lot of these softwares do this and sometimes you can add this to to the recording and that's called using compression and what that does is when you talk really quietly like this it raises the volume of the person who's not talking loudly and then if somebody gets really excited and talks really loud it brings that volume down right so that when it when you by the time you hear this after i've edited it 
both of those two differences in, in sound will, will will be quite different. Like it'll kind of it'll take the edge off the when I'm talking loudly, and it'll bring the quiet voice up a bit, right? And because we all kind of tend to drift back and forth and move our heads away from the microphones and stuff like that, and um, different. Like we're currently using three different microphones um, on the podcast, and so you get different tonal qualities and different recording values, right? Stuff like that. So compression kind of levels that out. And um, what I found was in in the show was as we're as I was listening to it, when um, two people were talking at the same time or one person was sort of trailing off and their, their voice was getting quieter, it kind of did a weird sort of audio spike. And I kind of, I could hear it. It was quite, quite noticeable. Um, so that was disappointing, uh, I must say. So in like I've kind of put here in, in, in my link in the show notes here that not really pro in my opinion, because those kind of things I can control in Logic and, and in Final Cut and Pro Tools. Like you can control that kind of oddness, you know, um, but from an editing point of view, it was super fast to edit. I mean, I might have been tempted to do the edit in um, in uh, Ferrite and then bring it over to Logic and, and do the final pass on it there. Uh, however, I think that in part of the part of the in, in exporting the project, I think is where the these sort of um, audio anomalies got added in. So, so your mileage will definitely vary with this product. I do think it's fast if you're if you're um, looking for a fast way to get through a podcast in terms of editing it, like you know and. There was no, um, like with, with Logic, I can also listen at double speed, so I can edit it twice, twice as fast. So, you know, it takes less time. Like, if you're trying to record, like, you know, a two-hour, two hours worth of audio down to one hour, you have to listen to that number of times, right? So I, what I like to do in, in Logic and is I double, I listen at twice the speed just to get through, you know, the hiccups and the coughs and the, you know, people talking over each other. I kind of edit all that stuff out um, at a faster pace. And then you know, not until I get to the final pass edit that I listen at regular speed, right? And I listen, to, sometimes I listen to headphones, I listen on my, to my Apple TV, I listen to it in different ways so I can hear if there's anything odd in the show. But um, so I was pleased with the editing capability of Ferrite, but I wasn't pleased, pleased with the final output. So we'll have to see. I did manage to get Spotcast done in like half the time. That's the other win from Ferrite. But uh, yeah, I don't think it's, um, it's got some work to do, I think. All right, my last pick here, I think it might actually be follow-up, but uh, so I saw this one uh, post from uh, Paul Hudson again. Um, somebody, asked, I, somebody else had posted to it, but uh, this is his site called What's New in Swift. And uh, of course, you know, he's got What's New in Swift 5.2, and it's um, little code samples that he's put together of each of the new proposed things that have been adopted into the 5.2, um, examples on how to use them and that kind of stuff. So I think we've talked about this site before. Does it look familiar to you guys? Yeah, it looks familiar, yes. Yeah, because at the top you can see, um, you can say, well, I'm using, you can say what version of Swift you're using now, and you want to see the changes coming up, right? So, like, if you were using, like, say, Swift 4.2, and you're switching to, to it'll show you what's new and coming up in 5. So it gives you an incremental um, sort of a... You know, what's changed in, in the, the spec or, or what's changed in the code. He's actually, oh, I didn't know I said before, but he's actually got an interactive uh, Xcode playground at the top here, LinkedIn, which is kind of cool. So you can see these examples. So I think he's he's done, he's run this site for a couple of years now. Um, 2017, I think it was the first version. Uh, and you can try out the different, see what the differences were. But uh, this the 2020 version, according to the trailer on the end of this one. So yeah, check it out. Uh, what's new in 5.2 by Paul Hudson. That's it. Cool. I definitely appreciate sites that'll let you 
very quickly find the differences between things. It's really hard to know, mm-hmm. like, all right, you know, I, I skipped a couple of versions or I'm coming in new. What in the world's going on? Right. Yeah, I really liked it when Apple's documentation used to do exactly this. Right. Not yeah, exactly yeah. this, but but it, it would it would actually show you the differences in in the in the you know the the online reference documentation. Yeah. And hasn't been that way for a long time. It's too bad. What I really liked about Apple is when they had actual method declarations in their in their documentation, and you could you could copy it, paste it into Xcode, and and compete continue to code. Now it's kind of oh, like you can still do that. No, uh, I, I don't find it as easy. Hmm. I find it a little, a little bit more. It's more abstracted now so yeah yeah like you know when i was doing table views and stuff like that i could just grab the you know delegate methods and whatever and just paste them in and go but i mean now we have sort of code completion so it kind of kind of sort of does that but uh you know not as nice as it used to be i mean i guess that's it for another week so hey hi if people want to get in touch with you how would they do that i'm on twitter is at dev of the hair and mark people want to get in touch with you at mark r at smapsoft.com all right my name is Symmetra t-i-m-m-i-t-r-a on the twitter machine as well you find me and so until next week we'll say bye-bye bye this has been another episode of the more than just code podcast if you want to find out more about the show you can visit the more than just code website at mtjc.fm there you can find a summary and show notes of each episode we list links to the apps code and news that we mentioned on the show if you like the podcast tell your friends please leave a comment on the website and if you can please write a review on itunes and please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. So use the hashtag AskMTJC. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. Please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on Patreon.com slash MTJC. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah, so this thing with this new license plate that they made for us, I mean, you can't see them at night, which the, the cops are just fuming over this, right? Because Ontario just went ahead and did, did this without consulting. They certainly dropped the bomb on this one. Because all, all of our current license plates, the letters are raised, right? Like they're actually stamped. But now this this one is just uh, less printed and, and it's got like this sort of reflective uh, material behind it. And yeah, when you when you blast it with a headlight, you can't see the, the numbers, the letters. It's going to get, they're going to get tossed out. It feels like somebody said, hey, have you noticed that credit cards and debit cards don't have the raised letters anymore? <laughs> it, it feels like somebody started with that and then yeah. went rogue. And I don't know, it, it does feel like a... There should be a minimum one person losing their job over this. It's oh, unclear right. exactly how many. Um, like they should just be publicly shamed for this. Like you, you, you failed in a way. Like there should be. I, I assume there is a process for this sort of thing, right? They don't just come yeah. over. Hey, here's like this new license plate that we offer. Guess what? It's hardcore pornography. You know, you, you get to choose that option. Like there's zero chance that that doesn't go through like a committee somewhere. There has to yeah. be a committee. There has to be a process. Definitely want to know how it broke down. Well, this is Doug Ford. Like this is this is the guy who uh, his brother was a crack smoker, right? He's our he's our premier of our province, like our governor, if you will, right? And I noticed he's got the zero zero one license plate in his hand, so he must have got the 
first one or something, you know? But this totally, like, he's, like, right now, I don't know if you heard, but all of our schools are on strike. All, like, we, we have, like, probably five or six different school boards here in, in Ontario. All of them are on strike right now because he won't he won't uh, negotiate with any of them, right? So my granddaughter comes over the other day. She's, she's five. And she says, I'm on strike today. <laughs> Getting okay, started young. <laughs> yeah. This other link on the podcasting studios inside of Staples in Boston. Oh, yeah. It's definitely not cheap. So, so they got a room, you know, soundproof room, space for four people, and a 60-minute session costs 60 bucks. That's so a dollar per minute. Yeah. And do they do the whole mix for you and everything or what? I have to imagine they just give you the raw audio output, but I don't, I don't see anything here about professional services around that. Oh, there you go. Staples give people discounts on editing services from We Edit Podcasts if they need help. That sounds like mm-hmm. a, they would just give you the raw audio. Right, right.